You are about to listen to the full interview with Jay Bachochin. Sections of it were originally included in our Beast of Bray Road episode. If you haven't listened to the full episode, we recommend you go listen. It'll provide context for this interview. Jay is a paranormal investigator, documentary filmmaker, and friend of Linda Godfrey's. We spoke with Jay about his friendship with Linda and strange encounters he and others have had in Wisconsin. My name is Jay Bachochin, and I am of sound mind. I'm actually a family man, uh, videographer, uh, into video graphics, and um, that's kind of my day job. At night, I'm a super dad. But my passion has always been for discovering the truth and what I call hunting the truth. And it's pretty much could be anything to do with uh, cryptids, uh, ghosts, anything paranormal. I've always been out there to find those answers for myself. Sure, we've seen all the TV shows out there and um, I've always come to believe that everything on TV is made for entertainment and for basically the uh, advertisement. Is some of it true? It, it could be, it certainly looks like it could be, but how do we really know? And that's pretty much what I do. I am basically hunting my own truth. I'm discovering my own truth for myself and not trying to, uh, to push it off on anybody of what's real and what's not. And basically talking to like-minded people I'm able to find out different encounters of people that have seen anything from the Beast of Bray Road to Bigfoot uh, to ghosts to the UFOs. I mean, Wisconsin is a is a hot spot, and that's where I'm from. I'm actually from uh, in the Kenosha County, Wisconsin area, southeast Wisconsin. Just this crazy guy searching for the truth. And I mean, you've explored so many different paranormal phenomena that are out there. I mean, it seems like you've kind of touched every aspect of it like what was the the triggering factor for you to get interested in this topic um when did that first occur back when i i'm I'm gonna date myself here a little bit all right back when uh, creature features was back in the late 60s early 70s i had to have been about 10 years old and my mom came home from dropping or uh, from picking up my sister at a school event and uh, when my sister came in, she was really upset, crying, saying, we're being invaded, we're being invaded. And so I am, me and my younger brother and older brother all came out to where my mom was. This was a Friday night in uh, northern Illinois, actually, just over the border. And right there, we saw this very bizarre lights in the sky that were actually kind of spinning. It seemed low, but there was absolutely no sound. Today, you can almost compare that to possible drones. Uh, But back in the uh, later 70s, you didn't have anything like that. But even though it didn't make any sound, could it have been a blimp? Could it have been? There's so many different things that would not made a sound. However, when these lights stopped rotating and spinning in a circle, it would blip out and be like no more than maybe a thousand yards uh, across our lake that we would look at and you could see the same display, the spinning, it would go out and there would be somewhere else in the sky. So this thing wasn't just that it wasn't making noise and that it had a very unique uh, structure to it, but the thing hopped around. There was five of us that witnessed it that night and I can still remember it just as uh, clear as ever. And at that point, it really kind of 
catapulted me into trying to find out what that was. Because as I mentioned, yes, I was in Watch Creature Feature, the old uh, Godzilla versus King Kong and Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Um, so I always was that weird kid that, uh, you know, wouldn't be out playing uh, softball during the summer at 2 p.m. I was downstairs in my basement watching these movies. So I was always into the weird. You know, I can't say paranormal. I can't say supernatural. But that UFO sighting was something that really catapulted me into saying, I'm seeing this with my own eyes. As a kid, I'm seeing this with my own eyes. What is out there? You know, and uh, the, I mean, the real cool thing is that uh, my, my grandpa, uh, Kay, uh, he was actually in the early chapters of MUFON in Chicago. So now you're talking about a grandpa and his grandson having something to talk about. And that was really catapulted me into searching for the truth. You mentioned that Wisconsin seems to be this hot spot for just kind of strange activity in general. Do you have any any theories on why that might be? They actually said Wisconsin is almost one of the hottest spots in the country for paranormal type activity. Now, could this be related to the First Nation, the Native Americans that uh, that resided in these areas? Uh, there are a lot of different tribes that are throughout the state of Wisconsin. That's where you have your effigy mounds, and there's still plenty. I was actually just reading a report on how many they think are still out there. A lot were found, a lot were preserved, but a lot of these mounds are still out there. And whether it's the growth from the great northern woods up in Wisconsin or down through the Kettle Moraine, some of these mounds could be covered up and something that wouldn't be able to see by aerial, an aerial view, but it's something that we could quite be possibly walking on actually while I'm out hiking in the Kettle Moraine. So before we get into the Beast of Bray Road, you've you've made a couple of documentaries. Maybe touch on what those documentaries are. And yeah, just give us a little overview of, of those films. Because I document everything in my life. And I'm talking about if the kids are doing something, I'm recording it on my iPhone <laughs> or taking pictures. I've got uh, like three five terabyte hard drives just full of the abyss. But when I was creating or actually when I was out hiking in the Kettle Moraine, I was actually looking for the Wisconsin Bigfoot. Because I had so much documentation while I'm out there, taking video, uh, audio, and I put together my story. And it was gonna be a one-time story. I've never done anything like this. But I put together a two-hour documentary of of my journey, of the beginning of my journey into the um, the phenomenon known as Bigfoot or Sasquatch. It was one of those that I, I I was able to put done. I was proud of it. I was a one-man band. I put it all together, put it on Amazon Prime. It was well-received. That was going to be my mic drop, meaning I'm not into hunting the truth for fame, for fortune, for putting documentaries together. I just wanted to tell people, this is really happening to me. And whether you believe it or not, that's it's going to be you know, the viewer's choice of of what that is, because I, I made this such a factual with uh, anything I've recorded of evidence, what I call pseudo evidence, I guess. So it would be, you know, I think from video, from audio. When I got done with that, like I said, my mic dropped and I named it Finding Jay. 
And why is that? Because I always said, and this is actually what I've always said when I was out in the woods, is I don't think we'll ever find Bigfoot, but Bigfoot will find me if I'm out there enough times. Thus, finding Jays from a Bigfoot perspective. But it's also about my journey. And like I said, mic drop. Then three, three years later, there was a lot more that I didn't say in my first one, my first documentary. And uh, I call this one Beyond the Kettle, Finding J2. And this gets dives more into even the par- paranormal part of what's out there with orbs of light, um, different frequencies out there. And of course, Bigfoot's out there. There's Dogman out there. What what are these connections? Uh, and and I, I take my stab at uh, trying to get out there and try to answer them. There are no experts in this field. I don't profess to be one of those. I just say it like it's happening to me. Whatever happened in Minnesota or down in Kentucky, that I mean, it's great and that's pertinent, but you know, I've got to almost make that a little bit of white noise for myself because I'm focusing on one area in Wisconsin. That's where I want to find the truth. So I have uh, my two documentaries out there and they're both on uh, Amazon Prime. For people who aren't familiar with the Kettle Moraine, can you give us a little overview of, of what it is? And is there any other activity out there that's been reported besides Bigfoot? The Kettle Moraine is 55,000 square acres that go up uh, through 100 miles through the state of central Wisconsin. So it kind of borders just, you know, uh, in the south part of Wisconsin, but it goes all the way up past, um, well, the 100 miles. It is full of different kettles that were left by the glaciers that make the Great Lakes. And uh, these kettles are like, it's more indented. I always say, if you look at Wisconsin and say, do you have big hills and mountains there? Because, you know, it's Wisconsin. No, we don't. But there's deep impressions. So they're like inverted mountains. So when you get into this kettle, it is just thick of of, of trees, of uh, lakes, ponds, the perfect wildlife for bobcat. For There's been occasion, occasional bear and cougar down here. Your deer, your turkeys, uh, fox, all these different the wildlife. It's just a perfect habitat for that. So it's, uh, you know, on a, spec, a spectrum, you look at a Google Earth aerial of uh, the Kettle Moraine, you're like, huh, not much there. When you're in there, it, it people get lost. We hear it all the time where rangers have to go in there and find these people and bring them out. It's it's pretty intense place. After all the time you've spent out there and the experiences you've had, do you have any theories on what Bigfoot is? Because obviously it does seem to show elements of something that's supernatural and not just flesh and blood. What do I think Bigfoot is? Well, if, if you know, if I got a dime for, you know, every time somebody asks me that question, because bottom bottom line, end of day, nobody knows. Okay, what's my theory on it? What's Jay Bachochin's theory on it? Well, I believe it all has to do with our own spirituality, what that is. Me, I am a, I'm a Bible-based man. Does it mean I'm perfect? I'm far from perfect. I fall short from the glory of God. That's why I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And this is what I really focus in is the Bible. You can look at the Bible, or I couldn't say, well, that applies, that doesn't, this is misconstrued. If it was really like that, then the Bible would be very confusing. With uh, looking back, there is, uh, uh, we'll, we'll just use Noah, Noah's son. He was 800 years old. 
How was he 800 years old? Did humans live to be that long then? And what are we now? Well, the fallen angels, the ones that came down and mated with the, the females, actually had hybrid. They weren't angel and they weren't human. They were like an off-breed. And what is this off-breed? What, what is it? Is it a, a supernatural human with extended life? If I'm going to have to go with uh, what it, what a Bigfoot is, I, I can't say, from my own experience out there, I cannot say that it's just your normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill animal. Uh, not a monkey, not a chimp. I mean, it might look like that. Not a man. Doesn't totally look like us, but has a huge, a bigger foot, similar to ours. But it's the things that they can do that defy what we understand. Now, does that make it a paranormal Bigfoot. No, I really think it's things that we don't understand of what is in uh, nature. Uh, nature always surprises us. We don't know everything about every animal or every species in the ocean. And uh, we definitely don't know enough about Bigfoot. But at the same time, I, I rack my brains by saying, these if they exist, which I believe they do, why wouldn't there be more footprints? Why, if they're this big, why isn't there just wrecked trees everywhere? Because these things are so big. Uh, they're there, but they're not there. See, it doesn't make any sense, right? We, we can all joke and say they're the the reign supreme champion of the hide and seek, but but maybe they're hiding in plain plain sight. Uh, with a, with a being being out in the woods, the way they are, and the environment that they are. They're not pollutant by the foods they eat. They're able to adapt their surroundings. Maybe it's something that we should have had, but we lost it. I, that's why I believe that they are the they are the masters of their environment. To where, well, I don't want to get all Star Warsy here, but you know, in this case, you know, just like Yoda, he was 900 years old. I, I was thinking more like uh, Ben Kenobi. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. What if they're out there and they're just that? masterminded to where we're out there and just, this isn't the squat you're looking for and we're just looking at trees and walking along and never noticing them but they're standing in plain sight now do i know that for a fact again this is just jay speculation so i don't mean to talk in third person <laughs> this is just my speculation of what they possibly could be and i'm hoping one day that uh you know, I'm not out there trying to prove Bigfoot's uh, real, but I am trying to make contact. And I'm hoping for that one day of just finding that truth. For someone who's never heard the story about the Beast of Bray Road, how would you how would you give someone their first introduction to it and kind of give me an overview of, of to what the creature is or was reported? Well, from local tales here around the Elkhorn area, uh, the Beast of Bray Road was really kind of introduced in the later 80s and 90s, if we really want to look further back, there was an incident that happened in Jefferson in 1936 where a night watchman actually saw what looked like a huge dog or a huge wolf, but it was much bigger than that. It actually stood up, showed its fangs, and spoke to him in kind of a, a human-type beast way that it was said that he just remembered the way it sounded. So what is the beast, though? Well, I mean, it's a 
reportedly right now is a seven foot uh, bipedal canine that has like a, a chest of a man. So when it's standing up, it's not like your average German shepherd getting on his two legs and standing up. It's standing up like a man with uh, with a chest, with shoulders, and uh, with the head. It's been reported a lot of different ways of sometime a German shepherd's head, but really mean. The eyes kind of glow amber. It, it looks, you can feel from the reports that when people have seen this, that it, they just have sheer terror in them when they see this. And it's reportedly all over Bray Road and the surrounding areas, not just Bray Road. Uh, let me tell you, I live uh, 15 minutes away from Bray Road. I'm down Bray Road a lot. And when you're driving through it, and if you drove through it during the day, you're like, okay, Wisconsin, there's a cornfield, there's a cornfield, there's a little grove of trees, there's a few farms. What is so special about this area? Well, Dogman has also been reported, not just in the Elkhorn area, but Michigan, a lot of different areas. And a lot of these sightings always seem to be somewhere near a graveyard. And that's what makes the Dogman kind of on the paranormal side, because it's there physically, it gives you that terror if you ever see it, that you just want to run away from it because it makes you want to run away from it. But it's always around some sort of graveyard. Back in 1936 in, the, in Jefferson, that the school that the, the uh, night watchman was walking, actually, that was uh, near a field that had some effigy mounds. And actually, the beast that he saw digging in it when he first saw it was an effigy mound. So, if we go back to Bray Road, and you kind of look around, you're saying, okay, well, there's no cemeteries right here, but what are they farming on? Is there effigy mounds there that are not reported? Again, I don't have the answer for that because my good friend, Linda Godfrey, God bless her soul, um, she, she took me under her wing uh, back in 2011 when we became friends and we started to uh, research and hike together. And again, she, I always called her, she was queen of the beast. She was, she was, she was queen of the beast and she loved it. She always snickered at it because she was such a, you know, kind hearted uh, person with that. But uh, when she, it, it was something to actually be friends with her because a lot of people would like to ride coattails on, uh, on her success. And what was her success? She's the one who coined the beast of Bray Road. Uh, and, and from there, she had written several books on Dogman, on different encounters, not just in Elkhorn, but all over the United States and then into Bigfoot and different cryptids. But she took me under her wing and uh, we would go down there quite a bit just to what I call patrol. And you got to be careful with these words because I'm not stalking in a car. But at the same time, you can't get out of your car to go uh, research and hike around because it's all privately owned farm field. You know, and if this farmer here, farmer A knows farmer B like two miles down, they're going to call each other and uh, report you. So that's what Linda and I would do a lot is we would definitely get in the car, kind of, I call it patrolling, <laughs> and you go all the different areas and hopefully, you know, that you have a sighting. I always say hopefully, but, you know, at the same time, 
you know, even though you're in your car, you know, you're just, you wonder seeing like a seven foot, you know, tall, you know, wolf-like creature just coming up to your window. You know, of course you won't be able to find your keys to start the car and, you know, take off. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what we were trying to do, at least in uh, Elkhorn. Can you tell me how you first met Linda and kind of how your uh, friendship developed? In 2011, I went to, um, it was another one of those cons, Ghost Con. It was uh, Chicago Ghost Con 5 in, uh, in downtown Chicago. And uh, at that time, I was not into cryptids at all. Not Bigfoot, not dog, nothing except ghosts. I was uh, the founder of the Wisconsin Paranormal Investigators. And we set up our booth there. And uh, just to our right, I could see this other booth that said uh, Linda Godfrey. And I knew of her. Uh, I never read her book. But hey, what a great way to introduce myself and uh, purchase a copy of her book to learn more about it. You know, I always say, you know, when you meet different people in the field, it's, um, you know, I don't, I, I never really get that um, starstruck. Depend, I guess, depending on who it is, it's kind of cool on that. But you know what? I always look at it saying, you know what? She's a person just like me and uh, she's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. And we started talking and, you know, because we were in Chicago, she said, yeah, I live up here. And uh, she was just a little north of Elkhorn. And I said, oh, yeah, well, you know, I told her where I'm from and we weren't that far apart. So then we just started talking. And uh, like I always say is she, I think, always had her, you know, the alerts up a little bit because there was always a lot of people that knew her and uh, tried to ride the coattails for that fame and fortune. And I did earn her trust. And that's when we would talk more. Like I said, is I was at that point uh, when we started getting into uh, hiking the Kettle Moraine, that was 2013. That's when we really started talking even more and share, I, I was sharing some, in, some encounters I've had out there. And she would tell me the things that she learned and she she researched. I mean, I almost felt kind of bad because she's doing all this research and I'm learning from her. You know, it's it was one of those as that uh, I would say partnership in 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 researching grew. Then it would be more like, hey, why don't you come on over where me and my, you know, she'd be like me and my husband are going to do a little cookout. We're right here off the kettle. And so we'd go over there, they'd be grilling and, you know, we just, we became good friends. In fact, um, you know, before she passed, uh, my son and her grandson were, were really good friends. So I almost thought there was another Godfrey Bachochin in, in the works there in the future, except that they were really into gaming and stuff because they're young. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was our um, relationship was uh, a good friendship and we worked together we investigated together and she kind of, I always say not only a friend, she was my mentor and uh, she always was no matter how much I learned, even, you know, on my own, in my own research, my own encounters, I always looked up to her. You know, she was, she was the Obi-Wan. She was the Obi-Wan. Did you, um, did you and Linda ever have any odd experiences while going on your patrols or hiking in the Kettle Moraine? So when Linda and I would go out, I would actually, she needed some help uh, researching some areas that were reported to her. Linda was the hub. Everything went through her in Wisconsin with Dogman, even Bigfoot related. 
There was this one time we did go out in the kettle, and this was not following up on anybody. This was just a daytime stroll into the kettle. And uh, I picked her up at her house. We drove up into the kettle, and we're walking out there. And it was a perfectly good day. And some would say if anybody ever saw ghost adventurers or anything, you would start to swear or use profanity to, you know, Aegon, you know, Aegon the the uh, ghosts. In this case, Linda goes, you know, primates shake trees to, you know, show territor- territory. And so I'm actually filming off a really crappy old digital tape. This was early on. And she, now I, I watched her do it. She gets off the path, finds this little sapling and starts shaking it like a, like a primate would. You know, this is territory. I'm going to be aggressive. Nothing happened. And she goes, why, why don't you try it? You know, she, she's, she was only like five foot one. If that five foot two, she's short. You know, I'm six foot man and I can take any other tree and shake it just like she did, but even more violent. But I even played the role even more. I became a silverback gorilla. I made the sounds. I shook the tree. Uh, I, had a, I, had a, I usually wear like a baseball cap when I'm out there, but I turned it backwards and put my sunglasses on top of my hat. I just didn't want anything to fall off, any branches. It was a young sapling, but this was September and I shook that tree and shook it and shook it. And all of a sudden, you know, and I'm looking down because I don't want even debris in my eyes. And all of a sudden I, I feel something on the side of my head and I look down immediately as I'm shaking. I see a pine cone and I'm still shaking and rah, and then nothing. Now, Linda didn't record this. I, I wish I would have given this to her, but I didn't want to be forward saying, Linda, watch me shake a tree, you know, film me. And uh, so she didn't, but I felt this little pain on the side of my left, the left side of my head. And that's actually not the side that was facing the path, but like this meadow to a tree line in the Kettle Moraine. And uh, I walk out and I'm like, man, you know, and I, I actually took off my hat and I had a lump there. And it was hurting if you touched it. Like I was hit with something. And I'm thinking, well, there was that the a pine cone, but there was no remember this was a sapling, not a pine tree. So I go go down to pick up the pine cone and it's small and it's lightweight from like last year. Like it was already there was no weight to it. It would have bounced off me, I would have felt it. And Linda goes, I said I was shaking the tree so hard that it felt like Gilligan in Gilligan's Island where a coconut hit my head. She started laughing. That's actually one of my fondest memories I'll always remember of Linda is, is when I told her that my head hurt and a coconut hit my head. And she goes like Gilligan's Island. But putting that all aside, uh, we couldn't really find anything on the ground that would resemble something with weight to it because it was a really high forest ground. It would have been impossible to find exactly what that is. But she thinks from what she learned from her from the Native American First Nation uh, peoples that Bigfoot likes to throw rocks and they're very accurate in their aim. Maybe I was being aggressive. Something hit me. That's all I know. People say, did you see the rock? No, honestly, I did not. But I felt the pain. And actually that pain lasted that whole day for about four hours. And when I dropped her uh, Linda back off at her house, remember I've been at her house a few times, many times I knew the way in, the way out. And I dropped her off, and on the way out, all of a sudden, I kind of woke up and said, "Where? Wait, where am I? This is this is Linda's area, but 
wait, I don't remember how to get out of here, out of the subdivision. It was a, a scary thought. And I had a GPS, you know, the garments at the time, and I plugged it in and there was no service to it. And I'm like, well, son of a gun, how am I, how am I going to get out of here? And I was actually beginning to sweat because I was nervous that I could not remember. That is the scariest thing. Basically, I had a concussion from whatever hit me, whether it was a rock, whether it was, I, who knows what else, whatever that was gave me a small concussion. Actually, a little plug there is you can actually see that in Finding Jay, the, my first documentary. I suggest watching them in order. They'll make more sense. Um, but my first documentary, I have that documented where Linda's recording and afterwards with my head it was it was it was wild do you think there's any potentially any connection between sightings of bigfoot in the area and in the cattle moraine and this creature that has been sighted on bray road i think that people look at one field one topic or the other i always call it putting them in a box right you have ufos people put that in a box bray road beast a dog man in its own box, Bigfoot in its own box, UFOs, everyone's in, in one box. I put them all in one box because since we really don't know, we really, we've really got to keep an open mind of just about everything from, from the ghosts, from the phantoms to what these uh, dog men could be and what Bigfoot could be. There's a lot of people that speculate that uh, Bigfoot and Dogman are cousins, or they're one of the same creatures, but just different um, in a way of saying what a horse is versus a zebra or, you know, uh, a cougar versus a lynx. I mean, they're all a feline, but they're going to be shaped differently. Same similarities, and the similarities could be upright and tall and hairy. But that's one of the one of the bigger things is that there's more trace evidence uh, from Sasquatch than there is of Dogman. But yet there are a lot of Dogman sightings, so it's not like saying Dogman doesn't exist. Maybe Dogman is another part of another part of the Phantom or the paranormal side that we that we don't understand. But I could tell you, in, in Wisconsin, we have them all. We have the ghost, we have the Bigfoot, we have the Dogman, we have UFO sightings like crazy around here. So, uh, you know, are they each different? Do we need four different departments to go out and look for each one? Or do you keep an open mind and hunt the truth and, and try to put this puzzle together? I think when it comes to the story of the Beast of Bray Road, there's a handful of stories and reports that kind of come up again and again. But I'm certain and I know there's obviously many more sightings and things that have happened that aren't reported on. In your times investigating, and being interested in the paranormal in Wisconsin, have you come across any reports of a creature that matches the account near Bray Road that you think hasn't been reported on quite as often? I, I've driven down Bray Road countless amount of times. I've seen weird, during the day even, just weird auburn shapes against the brown trees that just dissipated into nothing. Couldn't tell if it was sitting, standing, or what. I couldn't make it out. Uh, same time, uh, coming down patrolling one night from the kettle, uh, right on Bowers Road, uh, that's adjacent to Bray Road, to where it was geez, like two in the morning, and I'm I'm heading home, but I'm I'm only doing 18 miles an hour, not fast, but I don't want to look like I'm stalking either. And right to my left, 
what stood out, I couldn't tell you how tall it was, but it was taller than my Ford Escape. And it looked like a, <laughs> it looked like a two-dimensional, this is what's weird, a two-dimensional wolf looking up into the sky. And it was huge. I mean, think of those big cutouts that they have at stores. That's what it looked like. There was no tree, no bush, nothing to interfere with it. It was right off the left side of the road by a ditch. I saw it and I immediately, I stopped the car, put it in reverse and, and put my headlights right there. It was gone. Nothing was there. I couldn't make sense of what that was. Now that's all related in the uh, Elkhorn Bray Road area. Well, I live south of that. I live uh, south of Lake Geneva. This was 2017 where I was actually out of town at the time, but I get this message from uh, one of the members at the church saying, Hey Jay, it's Bob. Can you call my daughter, uh, Christina? She just saw a hellhound. Now I know where she lives. She doesn't live that far from me and it's still south of Elkhorn. So now you're talking the lions area, the Lake Geneva area and down here. And, um, I give her a call and this event happened about an hour. Uh, what I called her, it happened an hour previous to that. She was still shaken up. She's never into Bigfoot, into Dogman, or into any, anything. And uh, she said she was just coming out of her little town in Silver Lake, Wisconsin, and uh, going up um, her back roads where she usually picked up her fiance after her second shift. Same route every day. And as she was coming around a curve, she saw something in the road. And it was dark and big, but it was crouched over. And she had a minivan. The closer she got to it, it turned and its eyes like just glowed greenish. But then an oncoming car was coming. And just as that happened, she said, Jay, this thing stood up. And it was taller than me in my minivan. And it had to have been about three men wide. She said the thing was enormous. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what happened? She goes, it, it, she said it trotted away which was a unique word because I'm thinking, wait, she's talking about a dog man. Wow, down here? You know, this is this is further south than Bray Road. And she said it had the head of a dog. You know, when I thought she was going to say it walked off, she said it trotted off. And sometimes that's what they'll do is they'll kind of hunch on the two legs and then go down to all four and then run. And where it ran to was this big lake. And... um she didn't hear any. She had her windows up, but she didn't see anything there. But the curious thing was, I went down about a half mile from her sighting. And guess what was on the corner? A graveyard. So some of this stuff is starting to make sense. It's I, I think we're trying to put it together. But again, what is it? Is it, you know, flesh and blood? Is it just a phantom? Is it living in a, is it dimensional? Uh, there's so many questions. And again, why? Why around graveyards? The protectors of the dead. Yeah, maybe talk to me more about that connection between the graveyard and dogman sightings. Are these reports mostly localized around Wisconsin, Illinois area? Or are you hearing this around the entire United States? Have you ever heard of have you ever heard of Anubis? <laughs> uh, the uh, with with the pyramids and the protectors of the dead. That's how far back these uh, these graphs go of what 
Dogman could be. They are the protectors of the underworld. At least that's how it would be in an Egyptian. I'm, I'm definitely not an Egyptian expert by any means, uh, but I have heard of that. I have looked into that possibility of what Anubis was. And uh, is it something that's related not just here in the United States, but across the, you know, across the world? And again, are all these happenings somewhere near a graveyard? Are they the protectors of the dead? And that, that's the one part that we really don't know is because we're not on the other side to understand what they need protection from, if that's the case. Can you maybe talk to me a little bit about your understanding of Linda's role in bringing um, this story to the public's attention and how that all played out? Linda actually just started out in, um, you know, working as a cartoonist, actually. And when this report came up of all of a few people having werewolf sightings, that, I mean, that's where she she coined it, the beast of Bray Road, you know, probably just an edgy thing for, you know, writing in a newspaper. But I think after she put that out, I don't think she knew what she was going to get into. Because at that point, countless people started phoning into her at the newspaper to tell her, to tell Linda, their story, their encounter. So as Linda would start interviewing again, Linda, she was an artist and um, that's really what she liked to do. And she liked to write. She had no idea she was going to get involved in all this. When she started getting all these different um people calling she said she had to put her bs meter on and after uh interviewing so many different people she started seeing that there were so many out there that's when she brought it to the public and when she came out with her first book because she said this book is so interesting of all the accounts of people that i met people need to know about this and this is where, you know, she's a wealth of knowledge because she just absorbed everything that she researched. And so, you know, she went out, she's looking at uh, Michigan Dogman, just different cryptids, different, how she would say phantoms. Sometimes she would say, we might not be seeing the same thing. We just interpret it that way, which was very unique when she said that, meaning you see a Bigfoot, this person sees a Dogman, this person sees a um, shadow man, you know, a ghost apparition, but they're all the same. We're just perceiving them differently. So I really think that was the great importance of bringing this out by saying, look, don't just look for a wolf. You know, you, you're, you, it's the same thing. It's basically you're looking for something that's on the supernatural paranormal level. We spoke to someone named Lee Hample, who owns a farm in the area. Have you ever had a chance to visit his farm before um, and look into some of the reports that he's had um, around the paranormal? Lee and I are really, really good friends. And uh, actually, Linda is the one who introduced me to Lee back in 2014. And uh, Lee and I have been friends since. There's been a lot of crazy things that have been happening up there with that uh, Lee Hample's we actually like to call it Lee Hample's Skinwalker Farm because it's a hay farm. I've got to tell you, I've been up there so many times 
And each time I'm up there, it's a very ominous feeling that I get. It's not scared. It's that feeling of something is not right. Now, Lee, to all of his credit, he has been putting trail cams out there. Uh, you know, he does everything from in, infrared, um, night scopes, everything that you can think of. And there's so many unexplained images and videos caught. In fact, he even has a picture of what looks like some sort of beast or something like kneeling. It, it's it's really fascinating photo. And again, it's because it's not that I just saw this photo on YouTube or Google. I, it, it's taken by a guy I respect. Here's a, here's a retired math teacher who just wants to bail some hay, uh, you know, is, is now into cryptids, which you know, prior to this, he just laughed it off. And now he's well vested of, of knowing that there's something out there. But uh, it was uh, almost two years ago in October, I had a, a film crew came out from Colorado and they wanted to uh, research with me there because actually in 2018, uh, I was featured on the Travel Channel uh, in Search of Monsters, uh, the Beast of Bray Road episode. And uh, it was me and Lee and Linda was going to be there, but uh, she was in a different part of it. But uh, they wanted me to be out there late at night with with steak and everything to bait this thing. And it's, uh, it's I think it's a little different when you have some camera people there. Again, just like, you know, finding Bigfoot or big uh, Expedition Bigfoot or any of these, you've got camera people around you. So you're never alone, even though it appears that you're alone. Uh, but when you are alone out there, I was all alone out there with the Colorado crew and uh, we walked the whole field and, you know, just did our thing. Um, but when they got back, a uh, producer called me a couple days later saying, hey, Jay, I just want to make it clear. What did you mean when you were saying this by the trail cam in this such and such area? And I said, we weren't in this, you know, that area. We, you know, we went here, we looked at the cornfield. We went across the the, cor the the field, away from the cornfield, went down to the north side and went to the tree line. He goes, no, seriously, what'd you mean? Like, he didn't buy what I was saying. I'm like, Ron, we weren't, we weren't there. He goes, you were there. You were talking about this and this. Sure enough, he sent me a clip because I didn't believe him. And here I am watching this guy who looks just like me talking about the infrared binoculars or uh, just some very odd things, but it's weird because it was me and I don't recall any of that. If people know me, they know I have a photographic memory. I mean, I, I'm getting up there in age 56. I'm, you know, I'm really old, um, but I have not lost those faculties of uh, forgetting things. Um, like I said, I can remember back in the 70s, early 70s, I could not remember about a half an hour of that at Lee's farm. And honestly, it's to this day freaks me out because I don't like the idea that I can't remember that. Now, not only did it happen to me that night, but it happened to Lee, who was actually up by the barn. He was letting us investigate and he was up by the barn. He doesn't recall about an hour of what happened to him there. And so it's kind of a weird, sporadic 
why um, type thing. So, yes, I've been up there countless amount of times. That's one of the weird things that happened to me, what I mentioned about losing time. Being there, don't get me wrong, it's not like, you know, if people were abducted and you lost time, there's the other people lost time with you. And so nobody knows what happened. Everybody knows what happened to Jay. I just, I was not me, which sounds weird. And then just about a year ago again, we were out there and I saw what looked like, uh, I was out there with three other people. So we're just kind of stationary, just scoping out the area. And um, the field gets really dark. But of course it's field. So you have your open sky and um, you know, if, know, there was no moon, but you can still see ambient light but it was still really dark. Well, I saw what looked like a, a darker than black against the night, moving around like a cartoon character in the field. It was the most sporadic looking. Um, I mean, it was definitely big. It was like bigger than me. So, you know, again, was it seven foot, eight foot? I don't know, but it was moving around in this really crazy, like, I'm almost thinking like Tasmanian devil when he's, you know, spinning around and you know moving like a top but it was even more sporadic than that and uh again very odd i i I think i pulled out my thermal at the time um and there was nothing at all nothing showed up on the thermal so again or am i going crazy is it just my eyes what is out here at lee's farm it's crazy yeah we're one of the first episodes we're um we're doing for this season is actually on skinwalker ranch and when we decided to do this story, I had no idea or any impression that this would lead us in a direction of, of a, a similar property that, you know, when Lee was talking to me about it, I was like, wow, this this all sounds very reminiscent of Skinwalker, the story of Skinwalker Ranch. That's so really it, fascinating. It, it is because I remember that was uh, also not only did I know about it before it became a TV show, but even watching the thing on the TV, I'm like, this is Lee's property. And it, it is. It's really uh it's fascinating to me because again when you look at the property it's a hay field surrounded by a grove of trees nothing big nothing ominous but there is a feeling of something not right there and lee's barn is totally adjacent to bray road people always think well bray road is the beast is going to be on the road itself no it's bray road and its surrounding areas so the uh the dogman has definitely been sighted on Lee's farm. In terms of Lee's farm specifically, has there been any physical evidence you've seen that you found to be particularly interesting in terms of evidence of this paranormal phenomenon that's happening? Well, me personally, I've never come across the physical part of it. I think mine is more the mental or loss of time or anything like that. But I have seen everything that Lee has casted from the prints out there, from the photographs out there. So again, the photographs to me are going to be physical because they were taken from this physical location. Again, it, I guess it's the uh, the man who's selling it to you, right? Is he a snake, you know, snake salesman, or is he honestly trying to find out what the truth is out there? And I'm talking about Lee, retired math teacher, total straight and you know straight and narrow type of guy who doesn't believe in this, is now casting physical prints of an unknown you know unknown topads of something that uh even the dnr will question 
you know what it is or not tell you exactly what it is because he'll do that he found hair samples and he uses a, a electronic digital microscope to get up close to looks at the shafts of the hair i've never seen anything like it you, you would see a lot of that in uh beyond the kettle uh finding j2 on amazon is i also do an interview with lee in all about his area but lee's farm is pretty much just like on every tv show that's out there so uh it's definitely not uh how would i say it if you knew lee then you would say this is a genuine guy who's not trying to sell snake oil you know it's I, I guess you would, you would really have to know him and you know just vouching for him because I put my credibility on the line when I look at these things and I say that is 100% real that's what it is Lee's just trying to find the tr truth too he just happens to be bailing hay on it <laughs> Did you ever get a chance to go to Lee's farm with Linda? I know Linda was had a chance to go out there a couple times. Did you get to go with her and investigate? Linda and Sanjay Singhal and I would routinely stop at Lee Hample's uh, farm. And we would all, three, four of us, go out there. Lee would always take us in, um, like in either his truck or sometimes he would get the tractor going, kind of like the hayride type of thing going back there but uh he would take us back there and show us where he found prints where he set up trail cams yeah so i was uh definitely with uh, linda and sanjay lee quite a few times out there what was linda's impression did she think that this was related to the original stories that she reported on on bray road or did she see this as something different linda has always kept an open mind about what the beast of Bray Road was. Yes, it was identified as a seven-foot upright wolf-like creature, but what is it then? Is it really a wolf or really a man or is it really physical? So she always kept an open mind about it. And what I really loved best about it is she was already working with Lee for a couple of years before, you know, this is this time that Linda and I were becoming friends and she was already working with Lee, and she's the one who introduced me to it because she found the area so fascinating. There's times where I wasn't even there, which I'm a little jealous of, where um, Lee, Linda, and Sanjay would all saw this orb of light just shoot around back out there that's, on, you know, just pretty far out. Do you have a sense of how the residents of Elkhorn perceive the story today? Um, is there a sense of skepticism around it? Do they embrace it? Kind of what's the general reception you know everybody has their little alien uh just like in las vegas you know nevada they do that here as well they they know they're known for the beast of bray road if you actually go on bray road there is a wooden carving of a werewolf in someone's yard with i mean it's huge it's like you know eight feet tall i mean well done with chains on it like it's breaking out and it's right on bray road and of course, they have the Bray Road Beer Brewery. Uh, so a lot of people kind of look at it and I think embrace it of saying, yes, we're Elkhorn. We have a werewolf around here. And it's kind of that type of mentality. Uh, the people on Bray Road, no, you know, no one's no one's really going to say, unless you can put a statue in, in I don't want to say poke fun at it, but give it homage. People are not going to talk about it. In fact, there are a few stories that I can't even mention on here that I've been told by Linda to keep my 
to keep it in the vault. And uh, same with Lee, uh, that I know some people around there have seen it and will not come forward. What's the consensus of the Bray Road area? It's hush-hush. The Elkhorn area embraces it with its brewery and statues and everything else. Do you have any new projects in the work now that you finished your second documentary? Are you planning on anything after that? A lot of people ask me after I did my part one and my part two, when's part three coming out, Jay? Well, you know, being a one-man band and doing what I do and being a being a father and working for a living, it, it, it's tough. I, I will have that in an upcoming project. I've already announced that there will be a Finding Jay part three. Uh, it's, it's still way in its pre-production area. There's a lot to go, but I always say, it's better to put out quality than quantity. And um, again, I'm not putting it out there for 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 fame, for fortune, or to be recognized. It's really got to be a complete story. As a matter of fact, it goes back to Linda Godfrey, where when she wrote her books, it wasn't saying, look at me, look at I'm Linda Godfrey. It's look at what I'm writing about. This is important. And I respected that, that so much that no matter what I put out, I am going to... Uh, put out my the best that I can to share with like-minded people. Whether they believe it or not, it's done. Um, anything we didn't touch on in relation to Dogman, Beast of Bray Road, or even just Linda that you want to say before before we wrap up? You know, it, it gets it gets really hard thinking about Linda, to be honest. Um, you know, she passed. She was not only a friend, but my mentor. And, um, you know, she wasn't around for me when I had my first sighting, daytime sighting this past March. And it was maybe 80 yards away from me, but I saw it during the day with a snow background, jet black, just skated along as if it wasn't moving. And I could see its head, shoulders, all the way down to the ground. And I had this, uh, this emotional part of that of like when you're a kid for the first time, maybe coming down and seeing the presence under the Christmas tree and that feeling of it's real. And I so badly wanted to share that with Linda. And I'm sure she knew from up in heaven, but um, you know, if she was down here, that was one of the things I would have shared with her. Cause we shared things like that. If we ever had an encounter or saw something, you know, it wouldn't be, I'm going to go tell everybody and, make a big deal about it and call the travel channel and get me on here. It was more Linda. Hey, I saw it too. And, uh, that's what I, I just miss being able to talk to her about that. That actually raised one more question for you. And, um, I realized I forgot to ask you if you've ever experienced directly yourself oh. and it sounds like you have had yeah. an experience. Um, maybe just in a little bit more detail, kind of walk me through that experience, uh, and, and what that was. You know, throughout the years, I have, I have captured everything from footprints, casted a footprint. Actually, this year, casted my first footprint. Um, I've had rocks thrown at me. I've, I've seen beady red eyes with no eye shine. I've had branches thrown at me. I've heard vocals. I've heard everything that would make me believe that there is a Bigfoot in Wisconsin. Well, this past March, I know it's real. I saw it. And it was a Saturday, late March. We had kind of a freak snowstorm that uh, that morning. And um, me and a friend, Bryn, went out. She took me out to kind of her property. It's a little, a little, uh, like a couple of miles away from the areas I research. 
and she showed me some tree structures that were like, wow. You know, you'd look at these things, you would say it would take many men to throw ladders and equipment and place these things. But this was um, like kind of a well-groomed type woods. Like, you know, the, these were like four-story high trees, and the, but the branches didn't start up until about like 30 feet, you know, 25, 30 feet. So you could actually see just acres and acres of just trees and everything with a snow background. Because of the freak snowstorm, there was snow on the right side of all the trees. So I'm kind of painting a picture here. And we were out there for about three hours. And when we we're leaving, I always do a hand signal when I arrive and when I leave. It's my calling card, if you will. And I kind of raise my hands. Um, I kind of wave. I kind of talk. Usually I use, usually get the raccoon and possum laughing at me after I do it. But, you know, hey, I'm talking to the woods. And I was actually saying, all right, guys, see you later. Thanks for letting me out here. Uh, maybe I'll see you over in the other area next week when I get out there. And that was it. And I'm facing the woods and I can see probably up to 120 yards. And then from the edge of that, the edge of the tree line, then you can almost see some white of a whole field behind there. So I'm kind of painting the picture of my distance, 120 yards of trees just in you know with the snow and and i could see right through every tree and bryn bryn is actually talking to me so she has her back there and i look over to my right with my eyes and this thing came from out of nowhere and it took me by so much shock and surprise that i i it was it was almost surreal because it was there and it came from behind a tree and it just kind of moved along really quick as if it was if, as if it was um, on skis smooth and then it had a few trees that were going to block my view but then it should if it was still going at the rate it was going it should have kept going and it didn't so I saw for about maybe two seconds but what I did see well number one it was jet black so I saw no detail of face anything like that but i've seen enough uh google images of bigfoot silhouettes that uh it reminded me of that except it wasn't in the classic patty formation you know with the arms spread open and legs open and you know moving like the bigfoot would be this was just slender tall but it was big it seemed wide so i could see its head kind of the shoulders and then the arm had to have been down to its side and a leg and I just saw it go at that point I it sounds weird but it's like I almost wanted to cry when I saw it because I gasped and I never gasp ever 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 not even when I looked for a ghost did I ever you know gasp I gasped that this was such a big event for me and it was so emotional for me that after everything I was doing, I was right. I'm never going to find Bigfoot. But did Bigfoot find me? Did Bigfoot allow me to see to see him or them, whatever they are? And um, sure as anything, I did. Bryn had her back to me. So again, it was a classic. I even wear a body cam, but my body cam's facing forward. But my, my torso's facing forward. My head is turned to the right. So, hey, what do you know? Jay, who makes up these documentaries, 
had a Bigfoot sighting. And you know what? I was so excited that when I got the car, I called my wife. She was excited for me, even though, you know, she's kind of on the, she's on the fence with it all, but she supports me. She's loving, um, but she was very excited for me. And I wanted to tell the world, you know, I wanted to go out, eat at a restaurant. And what do you have? I'll take the, you know, quarter pound cheeseburger. And guess what? I saw a Bigfoot. I wanted to say that so bad. And I wanted to tell people, and I realized that when people were listening to me, they were giving me the, uh, maybe, I don't want to say the pity agreement. Like, you know, like, oh, you did? Shake your head. Okay, so do this. I found out that even if they agreed with me, there's that disbelief. And when it comes to that, all of a sudden, me trying to share my feelings about it is now kind of a moot point. Like, then you do, you you start questioning yourself. Um, did I see it? You know, did I, well, could it? No, I know what I saw. And, and it, it just, it, it's mind boggling, but it was such a fascinating encounter. And um, it was from a distance. I saw it, nobody else did. And that meant something to me. And I'm hoping I could use that. And I have taken that now to that level to where I'm really not going out there to try to capture that evidence of Bigfoot. Now I want, now I want contact, whatever that is, whatever that's worth. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps get this content in front of more listeners, which means we can produce more episodes more often. Visit our website at www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.